Warning, the following podcast may contain language that some listeners may find offensive or confusing or intriguing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the 3v3 podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. I'd like to send out this message, this plea, no, no, more of a demand to everyone in the NHL uh, media circles. Until the Hershey Company sponsors the trade deadline for the love of Gordy Howe's elbow, stop referring to players as pieces. Thank you, and rant. So how was your weeks? Uneventful. I had to move some pieces around at work. <laughs> Were those containers, images, or volumes? Uh, they were um, carbon-based resources. Oh, carbon-based. Interesting. Um, other than that, I just thoroughly enjoyed not watching any of the trade deadline shows because I didn't need to see a lame SNL skits which is saying something because most SNL skits these days are lame. Yes, I said it. I meant it. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> They've been that way for years because sometimes longevity is a bad thing. Yes. Um, just because everyone, it, it, I don't know. It's just like the floodgates open and everyone went just bonkers one day. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, knowing that the plate spinning, Coco, the the sign language gorilla, the llamas, the the Cirque du Soleil type acts, and the really bad musical parodies, we're going to have to drive those shows for so many hours. And the only thing that I will say. And, and and it's not directly to the trade the trade deadline shows is goddamn PK Subban has been a breath of fresh air on the ESPN panel. <laughs> yes, he has. He's turned it into what TNT was trying to do with by using Biz as the sort of the punching bag, the comedic relief. Cause he's actually got Messier and Chelios screwing around a little bit instead of being these stuffy, emotionless, robotic yammer bots. You mean men? <laughs> I, was I, men to to me. <laughs> I wasn't trying to put too fine a point on it, Pat, but since you said so, yes. I mean, the, the ball was on the tee. <laughs> I had an empty net. Two feet from the net. What can I say? Hmm. Yeah, I just liked that. I liked that that um, that PK will occasionally break the fourth wall. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? 
I mean, I, I did I did something I hadn't done in ages, and and actually sat and watched a uh, an intermission panel. And I was like, oh my god, how did how did TNT not back up a Brinks truck for him? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Let's have that... PK run 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 the uh, uh, NHL Network. I think that he he needs to take that over for everybody. <laughs> Well, since you brought that up, Cassie, I am. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Okay. What was what was, you know, I have espoused my love for a certain set of players and a, a sort of certain can't miss, you know, must watch TV type appointment viewing type game. And on one of the premier nights, one of the premier games was ripped from the viewing audience and placed upon the network, which hardly anyone gets. They took an Oilers game in prime time and chucked it on the NHL network. Now, am I going to lose sleep or shed tears over Philadelphia, Detroit being on the NHL network? No. 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 Not even in the slightest, right? I mean, who cares? You, you, you. <sighs> you take a non-weekend Oilers-Leafs matchup and you chuck it on your plunky little network. That should have been TNT or ESPN's game of the night. True? I mean, you want to promote this game? How about the biggest star-studded lineup that you can have on a night going head-to-head? Here, let's put it on this network that only a couple thousand people get or know that it exists. And then let's stop all over. And and this is this is no knock against uh, the people in the NHL because they had Mike Johnson on the panel. And I think we've all acknowledged our adoration, damn near love of Mike Johnson as an analyst. Um, but they're not at the arena, right? You know they're they're sitting in a green room watching the game. They're, you know, it's hockey night in Canada, right? It's there. Nobody's near there. It just infuriates me. It infuriates me they did that. I mean, they could have put Philadelphia and New York on there. Somebody that game should have been plastered over the ESPN TNT family of networks. That should be one of those cross the stream type games. Where ESPN, they simulcast it, you know. They give us a play-by-play person from one, you know, from ESPN and an analyst from TNT, and they share the feed. Because that's just... (sighs) People pay money to go watch Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid play. People pay a lot of money to go watch them play against each other. (sighs) Ah... 
I told myself I wasn't going to get too ranty, but Cassie, you, you as a typical woman, got me angry <laughs> with an innocuous statement about the NHL network. I, I actually have a, a, a talent for invoking that kind of reaction from men. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to, but like I just say something and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that probably wasn't a good thing to say right there. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. It's all right. Now, I will say that they've got the uh, the Edmonton Buffalo game plastered all over everything, which I am totally down with because Tage Thompson's been fun. Actually, Buffalo's been fun. Mm-hmm. Buffalo's been hella fun. <laughs> Win or lose. You will walk away entertained unless you're a Sabres fan. Oh, and what? Goal line save. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> you will. You will. You'll. They're they're fun. They're energetic. And I mentioned I mentioned yesterday that I find it interesting that Rasmus Dahlin has decided this season he has not taken anything from anyone on the opposing teams. He has just decided to become a little bit of an ass. When you're playing sports, that is as it should be, honestly. Unless you're playing in adult leagues. If you're playing professionally, absolutely. I'm not saying that. To anyone in particular that I may or may not know and may or may not be facing this evening. <laughs> Who may or may not be Just listening. Just a to general them. statement. <laughs> oh, I know they're not listening because it would require. Some... Anyway. Yeah. If you are getting paid, getting paid money to play the sport by all means aggression have that little bit of snarl in your game mm-hmm. if you are paying to play the game what the hell right and you have to go to work the next day especially exactly exactly i find that too many times those type those type of people are um are using that as um, as the only outlet of their lives to to relieve some things that are bothering them that they don't have the capacity to deal with and or face or change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you get kicked out of the ECHL, I mean, there's only one place to go. Oh, even better. Yeah. My goodness, when you see adult leagues with a mix of amateurs such as myself and then former pros or even, you know, D1 college players, it's it's just two different worlds we live in. So had, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, please go I ahead. I was going to say, uh, I had a teammate ask me about, oh, hey, there's this tournament like two hours away. So a random coworker asked me if I was going to be playing in this. I didn't know. And I I personally asked for the name of this tournament. I said, no, no, we should not go. One, we already know we'll get our teeth kicked in. That that That's beyond the point. But 
when the um, B level division is filled with uh, AHL and ECHL players, either in their off season or you know this is their early retirement plan, you can imagine that the talent levels that filter down into the division I'd play in, it's just going to be a gong show. So, uh, yeah. So, so what you're saying is, uh, no, I'm not going to do it. All I'm going to say, no, I'm not even going to say that. I'm going to self-censor myself right here and right now unless someone pokes the bear. And you don't know what I'm going to talk about, so there we go. <laughs> I can't tell if you would have been an asset to the trade deadline coverage or not. I would have been an asshole. To the trade deadline coverage. <laughs> I was oh, gonna say it depends would, oh. on if there's depends on if there's censoring involved or not. <laughs> oh, I can I can you know I can play PG you know mm. when I when I know there's cameras on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it would not be my first rodeo being broadcast. I was never I was never on TV, but it would not be my first rodeo being broadcast. So knowing completely, you know, when the fudge, you know, needs needs to be toned around a little bit. Um, uh, I have a I have sort of a philosophical, existential type question. Can you be considered? one of the best teams in the league if you then proceed to replace one-third of your lineup before the trade deadline? Are you not then an entirely new and different team? That's kind of what I'm getting around to. Mm -hmm. I mean, doesn't that seem lawyerly? And, and, you know, no, no, we're the best, we're the, you know, we're the best law firm in the country. This is why we've just gone out and acquired these other five lawyers who are the best lawyers in the country. Well, then how were you the best law firm in the country previously? In their own Uh, mind. You know. (laughs) Law firms have the advantage of only needing to add in certain uh, situations and not necessarily subtract. And also, I mean, adding more rats into a rat cage. Makes you more rattier. Yeah. I was trying to avoid any Boston euphemisms, but I might have created (laughs) one. (laughs) Hey, Um, they did some things that I didn't like. But that's not to say you were referring to Boston, were you, Patrick? No. I was not even anywhere close to referring to Boston because Boston did very little this trade deadline in comparison to... Can you repeat repeat that out loud? Boston did very little this trade deadline compared to some of their division mates. Um, I'm looking at you, Toronto. Specifically, you, Toronto. The Ryan O'Reilly deal, okay, you know. That, that to me, is... Um, that, to me, is one of those 
admission of guilt and acknowledging there was a problem type thing with the John Tavares show. You know, oh, this isn't working quite as well as we had planned because, oh, hey, time is undefeated and he's kind you know, he's playing great. I'm not knocking that, but in the first game, Ryan O'Reilly was there. What did they do with him? They moved him to the wing. <laughs> so. Yeah. What do you do with new guys that you don't know what? how they play or, or how they fit or what they can do is you put them on the wing. Well, no, right. Riley was center and Tavares was wing. Um, oh, all right. There you go. Because there's, there has been this rumbling in conversations that it's time for Tavares to move to the wing because his age is catching up to him. And as a center, you know, he's, he's struggling to which, <laughs> All of us. I wish I were struggling like he was. I know, right? I, I'm going. The guy's still putting up points. He is. He, he is one of the most quiet and unassuming, you know, point producers out there. Nothing's, rarely anything's ever spectacular with him, right? Yeah. They're just there. Nothing wrong with that. Exactly. I. Whole hum sixty. 62 points in 63 games. Right. Oh, boo, boo. I would like to be seen as an overachiever and still get get that. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> oh. That. <laughs> Jeff Merrick, I think, absolutely freaking nailed it when when he said, you know, you look at Kyle Dubas's resume and what's one thing he's missing? The big trade, right? the big sort of blockbuster mm-hmm. trade. Well, he just went and pulled it and proved. Did he? he? Could, well, he pantsed St. Louis. Oh, sure. To, to a certain, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't consider the O'Reilly deal big either. I, I, I wouldn't either, but it's probably the biggest one he's done. But sure. here's the thing is that if you put together a team, although granted, you know, he didn't exactly put it all together, but yeah, if you put, if you, if you're utilizing the talent you have available and you have people coming up from the minors on a regular basis when needed and you are, you are drafting and, and managing your team well, then do you really need to have the big trade on your resume? I don't think so. I, I don't think so either, Cassie. I don't. You know, here's the thing. He's going to make the big trade next year when he acquires Mitch Marner for whatever team he goes to work for. Because I don't think he's long for Toronto, whether they win the cup or not. I think he's out of there. Because someone, I'm going to say wisely, will acquire him. Well, because um, you said well, so I'm going to let you run with it. <laughs> I would say that if they make if they make the third round I bet that I bet they announce an extension for him immediately like after like if they win you know between the second and third round I bet I bet they announce an extension for him immediately 
But if they get bounced before then, yeah. I This is that fickle, you know, what have you done for me lately type thing. Mm-hmm. And that is the ultimate, you know, what have you done for me lately? Well, we got, you know, we got you this close, you know. Oh, okay. You know, this is the, this is the furthest we've been in, you know, in ages. There's entire generations of people who have never seen this happen. So... I think they would announce a, an extension immediately between the second and the third round. Not and then after I, the first? <laughs> no, no, I no. don't. No, no. I once posed this question to another podcast, and it ended up turning into a bonus episode. But if there were moments in time that you could reverse or, or change or create a new butterfly effect... You know, the Eric Lindros gets traded to the Rangers initially instead of to the Flyers, or just change these one moments. I, I'm always curious to see what would have happened with the Toronto Maple Leafs had the salary cap continued to rise somewhat incrementally, but not be flat for the better part of four or five years. I think because can, to, sorry, Pat, I think ahead. they continue to do what they do what they've been doing is try and spend out of their problems. Mm-hmm. That's so what I'm curious. Cause I'm not so sure they do. I think they try and trade out of any problems that they have. I don't know that they spend out of them. Well, uh, they spend because, out of- you know, I, I'm just going to say, I don't believe every barber in Ontario who thought Drew Doughty was going to be traded to Toronto at some point. <laughs> I think they, I, I think they would, they would absolutely kick William Nylander the curb and then go use that money to overpay for another William Nylander. Mm-hmm. Well, they would have paid for another John Tavares. But who doesn't put up, you know, near a point per game? Jeff Thornton? They, maybe. I don't know. It's just one, one of the exercises. Because I feel like Dupas actually has a plan. He has an outline. He had a direction. And he wanted to center around four big offensive players. And honestly, I think he wanted to do it with three centers. Matthews well, as your one, Kadri as your two, Tavares as your three over time. But we all know how that story went. <laughs> well, that, that's basically what, what I'm, I'm saying, I, I want to see him go be the GM of the Vancouver Canucks because they just need someone to be decisive. Del, Del, Francesco, also, Aqu- Francesco Aqualine would never let that happen. Have the Canucks be successful? No, yeah. let someone subvert his as the final word on what should and shouldn't be done. Because hmm. I think, I honest to goodness, think that the only reason that they're that they're in this situation is even Jim Rutherford can't even Jim Rutherford can't control him. I mean, the best run teams are typically teams where the owners are completely hands off, right? 
Generally speaking, uh, um, if you have a good GM. <laughs> hands off. No, but do not make the decisions. Yes. Yeah. I, I Anything beyond absentee, you know, somewhere, somewhere between running the damn thing themselves or making everything, you know, about them running it or completely, you know, leaving it into somebody else's hands for 20 years and never making them take ownership of the issues they cause. Not running the running not running the day to day, but still like being accountable to the overall scheme. Yeah, vested, I think would yeah. be I think we can agree vested would probably be the word. Yeah. But still hands off, not yeah. actually doing the day to day. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think any of us would, any owner that handles the day to day. Hello, Aquilini. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, boy. Boy, howdy. I don't know. Boy, I don't know what to tell you. That boy's not right in the head. Um, I'm actually was pleasantly surprised with what Ken Holland did. And do you know how painful it is for me to say? Yes. Mm -hmm. The only thing more painful would be saying that about Peter Shirarelli. I'm sorry, I was laughing before I could get his name out. <laughs> <laughs> well, as he's never done any of that. Um, uh, you know, it, it seems to me like he completely ignored the 180 hockey men in the Edmonton media that were demanding they go get Eric Carlson come hell or high water. That made my eye twitch. <sighs> and it's like, don't get me wrong. I would love, love to see. 2023 Q1 version of Eric Carlson play on that Oilers team. Oh, as it was an, never going to happen. As, a, as an exercise in just complete and utter hockey chaos, it'd be freaking spectacular. As a practical utter. application, <laughs> it'd be a complete disaster. But would they have been any worse? Yes. By acquiring him. <laughs> Yeah, they would have. Because everyone, you know, it's it's funny that everyone kept saying, you know, oh, they need to fix their defense. You know, they they need to they need to improve their defense. Well, how does acquiring Eric Carlson improve your defense? It just improves your offense. Last time I looked, your offense was pretty damn good without him. And you know, there's there's that whole side of you know, well, sometimes you just got to play to your strengths. I don't think you need to strengthen that up anymore. <laughs> Well, that's that's the that's the I don't know what defense I don't know what the defenders do except first pass out of the zone and score and set up goals, you right. know. And that's like whenever you hear a GM say something like that, it's like we need to shore up our defense, and then they pointed a guy who's like got a ton of assists and a few goals. They're like, you're like, okay, you have no idea what the defense actually does then. Um. <laughs> exactly, which is, which to, to your point exactly, Cassie, which is why I was like, that was actually probably the smartest move they could have made, is going and get a Matthias Ekholm, a, a guy who's just solid, who is going to help alleviate and get you out of your zone faster. Because mm -hmm. 
you don't you don't need one of your defenders carrying the puck up the ice. Last time I looked, you had the fastest player you know we're likely ever going to see, and one of the best passers we've seen in a generation, and some other guys who've got wheels. What do you you know what do you, benefit are you giving? Yeah, Carl's, again, it's it's someone who doesn't know what what def, what defense actually does. Yeah, Carl, you mean, know, is good at escaping <laughs> his own problems. Right, <laughs> he's he's good at creating problems in the defensive end, then getting the puck back, and then escaping them. He is a puck driver, not a puck passer. Mm-hmm. His assists are largely power play, right? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, that's most yeah, most scoring large, defenders are it's power play, or largely when they're set up in the zone, you know, or it's him, you know, again escaping his mistakes and making a you know making a play beyond the red line be on the center line and next thing you know it's a two-on-one because he's joined the rush i'm sorry he led the rush generally um i i love him you know i'm so happy for him as a human being that he's having this resurgent career but he was absolutely not going to do anything for the oilers okay let me phrase a different question outside of the oilers would he have helped any playoff team this postseason Yes. And the team, I would say, will ab- will shock you coming up next on the 3v3 podcast. The Devils. Go on. Defenders. Hmm. The Devils are very solid core defensively. There are not a lot of play drivers outside of Dougie Hamilton, really. They're very mm-hmm. solid. They're, they've got some flash up front, right? But it's a little young outside of Heischer. Heischer's a lot older. He's more mature, but it's not Jack Hughes. I think that is playing to the, the notion of take your strength and make it stronger. Because it it gives them another another chaotic element in that lineup, right where they kind of need it. Because hmm. that was. That Do was you the- worry he oh. would face the same issues that he faced with San Jose with playing in front of or immediately behind Brent Burns? On the right side. No. How? Because I don't think, as much as I love Dougie, I don't think there is another Brent Burns in that organization. So you would slot Carlson ahead of of Hamilton. You give him the PP one time and... Yeah. I, I mean, I can't argue with it. Dougie's going to be there long term, mm-hmm. you know, and and Dougie is going. Dougie is morphing into a more complete player. As crazy as it is to say about him at at this age, I I think just for sheer take that strength and make it stronger, and you know, be damned everything else. That to me would have been a silly, hysterical, and fun move. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm just disappointed we don't get to see him in the postseason. I'm not. <laughs> I got well. I'm. That was very dismissive of me, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not because we're gonna get to see some hellacious fun stuff in the postseason. If that Buffalo only difference. in game one a series, and then ugh. well, if that Buffalo Saber team locks their spot in, talk about puppy dogs. Okay, okay, that that's a different story. That's the, and I'm sad we just couldn't manifest anything to happen with our Buffalo Sabers. I, I am very disappointed too. Um, I did, you know, there, um, there was a conversation about, you know, what, what deal do you think, you know, of the deals that were done, um, what deal do you think Buffalo should have done type thing? And I said Horvat, and I got a lot of pushback until I sort of explained, you know, listen, here's why. Um, as a rental, you basically, you, you, you buy them in. You don't pay what, what uh, the Islanders paid. But you can't tell me that, uh, that uh, Matthew uh, Savoy and Vegas' second-round pick couldn't have, couldn't have got them out there. You know, they're very deep in the center position. They're going to be deep for a long time in the center position. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Well, you always have to put that qualifier in with NHL GMs. Hopefully, <laughs> the way the way Kevin's done those contracts, I mean, they are set up for quite some time. You know, provided none of these players goes flying off a, you know, their performance goes flying off a cliff. And I just, provided the cap goes up, because where have I seen this story before? They've got guys on long-term deals now already, you know, that they've are got the defense. They've got a solid defenseman whom certain teams have been hunting as that trade deadline acquisition like Ekholm and Samuelson. They've got their Norris guy already and he'll get his long-term deal. But they're set. The only thing that could really throw a wrench into the works, and I don't even think it's going to be Owen Power throwing a wrench into the works, because what they've what they've been able able to get Cousins and Tage Thompson for on those you know no bridge deals, just these long things. I think if they can do that same thing with Owen Power and get that taken care of. I think the only thing that can really throw a big wrench in the whole works is goaltending with them. Mm-hmm. You know, but now they they planned well, but you just don't know. No, U, UPL still very young, looks good. We'll see what he looks like next year. But man, if they make yeah. the playoffs, De- that is Devin Levi, college goalie. Presume he will turn pro in a year or so. Who knows? Also, if I were a goalie, certain UFA status, I could think of worse places to sign right now this coming right. off season. There's- I really could. They're sitting on a metric ton of cap space right now, 
They've got mm-hmm. core players locked up. You know, I think they'll get an extension done for Darlene, and I think they'll get an extension done for Power, and probably Krebs. Who's the GM there? Kevin Adams, the one everyone was mocking because he like had no experience. Mm. You know, they fired a very experienced general manager and they brought him in. Then everyone was just like, oh, my God, you know, the dude's never done it, blah, blah, blah. And yada, 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 all this other crap. And quite honestly, quite quietly, <laughs> he's done yeoman work. I'm I am very I am very excited to see if Jordan Greenway comes back to form, because if he does, yeah, baby. <laughs> you know that's the the new legion of doom right you've got tage thompson sitting out there what is he six five six four or something like that jordan greenway's six three six four oh, that could be fun all right i'm gonna go out and say it buffalo boston first round series if it were to happen sabers and six See, I keep saying to people on Twitter that um, if Boston can make it past the first round, they'll make it to the final. Some people are like, if they make it past the first round, they'll make it, they'll win the Stanley Cup. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Because, like, while the Western Conference is looking really weak right now to a lot of people, that doesn't mean they actually are. And that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a trap series for Boston looking around going, oh, this will be cake. Right. They could be down two nothing in that in a series against I don't know whoever in the Western Conference by just like not taking them seriously. So, um, so yeah, I keep saying if they make it past the first round, then they'll make it to the final. I don't disagree with you at all. I, I but I also think I don't. I, I don't know as if they wouldn't take the Western Conference team seriously as much as they the gauntlet they're going to have to run to get to the final. And the gonna, injuries, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> and I don't. And think that's what scares me most with Boston. They have the talent to get them there. Will they be healthy enough to go over the top? Yeah. Well, and that's that's what you know. Ron Hextall was sitting there saying after the trade trade deadline that Pittsburgh has the capability to win a cup this year. And it's like, uh, yeah, I know they're going to be really seriously lucky to like make it to the final because their defense is not good. And if they, and if Latang goes down injured, they're screwed. Oh, they're boned. They are screwed. They don't have goaltenders that can steal games. They have decent goaltenders who, if the defense supports them can win games but the defense doesn't support them and they tend not to without Latang, then they can't steal games. And so your forwards are great. The defense is not good. Latang is the only guy there that's like anchoring the defense. And if he doesn't make it through, you know, playoffs, that's, you know, Pittsburgh, however Chris Latang goes is how Pittsburgh's going to go. Their forward group isn't like the isn't strong enough to outscore. They can't outgun insulate. Anybody. I, I'm just gonna say insulate, like a Ron Hainsey led defense corp that they won that cup with. You know that, that forward group was unbelievable. Well, in, it, it, in 
which is 15. probably why which is probably why they tried to get the band back together and went out and got Bonino again, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Um I think whoever comes out of the East is in for a I don't want to say rude awakening, but it, it's going to be, the, you know, it really is going to be like running a gauntlet by the time they get out of the, by the time they get out of the conference and into the final. Whereas the West, I don't see that happening. Mm-mm. If, if Colorado can get through, I think it's theirs to lose. Otherwise it's, it's a jump ball based on matchups. Like, I can see Minnesota getting hot and making a finals run. And depending upon their opponent, who the heck knows? You could tell me any of, I'm going to say, 14 playoff teams could win the cup, and it's believable. Yeah. There'll be one or two who make it who just do not have a chance, but so be it. Who's your dark horse in the West? LA, which is foolish to say right now because they're not a dark horse. But I don't think they're playing as well as they could be. And it's and it's not just the goaltending that was holding them back. Mm. Says the team that's been seven, two, and one in its last ten. I watched the game last night because I wanted to watch Corpusalo's first start. Mm-hmm. Exactly what that team needed. Exactly. Somebody just 905 save percentage. That is all they need. And mm-hmm. I think and I think the confidence is going to start coming back through the rest of the team at that point. Um, do you have a dark horse, Cassie? Dallas. Uh, that's silly to say because they're top of the conference, right? But um, you know, people disregard Dallas. I don't like Dallas personally, but a lot of people dismiss them as, as oh, you know, whatever, they're over there. And, you know, thinking Vegas, thinking, you know, L.A., thinking Colorado, and I kind of think that Dallas is the team to beat, like, period, just to get into the final. Thank you. Nobody, they're rarely talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody mentions them. And I watched their game yesterday as well and went, who boy. Mm-hmm. Especially after the trades they made. Yeah. 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 I, I really just went, who boy. Because the otter, you know. <laughs> Everything That's... rides on uh, a hot hand. Well, ever, all it ever takes is getting a goalie hot at the right time and playing well in front of them. And you've got Jason Robertson, who is just, he's like a little assassin. <laughs> he just, you know, he's like a little ninja. He just sort of lurks in the shadows and then bam. Oh, crap, you know. I, I don't know. And, and clearly Joe Pavelski is just, He's saving up the tank for playoffs. He's, I think he is, you know, 
And I think he came to play a little bit harder yesterday because it was, you know, a game they really sort of wanted to step up and show things in. But man alive. <laughs> they are that's that one team, Cassie, I keep looking at going, you know what? You look up and down. They've got the puck moving, solid defense. They're solid up and down their forward lineup. You know, nothing really flashy, nothing really spectacular. You know, it's it's yeah. sort of it sort of reminds me a little bit of that first year Vegas team, right? They were all second and third liners, but you had four lines of guys that were second and third liners. So it really balanced everything out because you didn't know which one to stop. You go play against Pittsburgh. Oh, I just need to stop Crosby and Malkin, right? You go play against Toronto. I just need to stop Matthews and Tavares or uh, Matthews and Marner. Who do you stop? You know, who do you stop on Dallas? No one team, you know, no one player takes over a game like that. They've got guys that can do it for spurts, but it's not a consistent thing. And that's, and that's the thing that I think a lot of general managers don't realize in the NHL is that everybody's looking for a star. Everyone's looking for name recognition. Everyone's looking for that one guy, right? And the reality is the best teams don't have that one guy. They have 10 one guys. And they're not like the top guy, like top 10 in the NHL for whatever. They're a bunch of above middle of the road guys who are, who have bought into the system that their coach is running and not any one of them are like spectacular on their own, but all together, everything's all spread out and they work like a machine. And that's what you should be looking for in building in an NHL team. If you want to win in playoffs. Yeah. Not that's not the way NHL GMs like think because they're looking for gate driven results. They're looking for name recognition, even though technically the NHL doesn't really like promote star players. They do. And they want those guys in the lineup to like, you know, drive out, bring people in. Yeah. Right. Sell tickets. Yeah. And so kind of going back to my first rant earlier, right. You know, appointment television watching for me is always McDavid because, you know, he guaranteed, you know, almost every game he's going to do something you've never seen before. Something silly. Right. So, I mean, but on the other hand, you look at Edmonton and they have Jai Seidel and McDavid, and then they don't really have a lot underneath that. So are they going to make playoffs? Probably. Are they going to go far in playoffs? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but then you look at like a wagon, like Dallas is, they have no one star. They have a Mm -hmm. bunch of people who are doing a bunch of good things and in harmony with each other. And are they going to make it to the Stanley cup final? Probably. I mean, pizza war first year with the team. Exactly. Um, Yeah, exactly. There we go. (laughs) Thank you, Pat. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is your one window you've got because of Pete DeBoer in his first year, you're always going to do spectacular in that first year. Mm -hmm. Um, To that point, I will have to say that he was on uh, uh, Darren Millard, who used to be on Sportsnet and is now the um, host of the Vegas pre and post game or Vegas Golden Knights broadcasts. 
hosts a podcast called The Chirp, and he had to bore on. And uh, he is such a he is such an interesting guy. Um, you know, this is separating you know the professional from the person type thing. Mm-hmm. But he told he, he told a story about um, uh, Wyatt Johnston about uh, you know they they really wanted Wyatt to um, didn't want him living on his own when they decided they were going to keep him up this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they said, okay, you know, so he asked his assistant, uh, one of his assistant coaches, you know, hey, could you call Joe, you know, Pavelski up and see if, you know, he'd be interested in housing Wyatt. Well, it turns out the assistant coach has a dog named Wyatt. <laughs> so when so when he called Pavelski up and says, hey, hey, Pavs, you know, would you be interested, you know, would you be interested in putting Wyatt up? And Pavelski's response was, well, if he gets along with our two dogs, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat there giggling because you don't even when they, you know, on other shows, when they when they interview coaches, they rarely tell that kind of stuff. And he also, you know, and they also he said a couple of other things that were really interesting. But it was I think. It was just, God damn it, you know, it's like, God, Peter, if you were any good as a coach, I'd really like you more because it was really quite entertaining. Um, if you if you get a chance, it is it is a fun listen. You know, uh, there's something about Darren Millard that I've I've listened to a few of uh, the more recent ones. Um, there's just something about his rapport with these people that they're not treating him like it's a like it's a professional interview right type thing you know they're they're not editing any of the curse words that people drop and these people feel comfortable enough that you know they can let those things fly and that to me is sort of one of those well if i let a you know if i let an s word out you know it's because i'm talking to my buddy type thing i mean mm-hmm. i even listened to the one with darren Dreger, and i'm no Dreger fan because on the panel he's just conceited he comes across as as just that guy, arrogant. Yeah, yeah. But he was actually pretty damn funny on the show, and it's because they had a rapport. So, okay. So, so in game update, Carolina is beating Tampa four to nothing at the end of the second period. Tampa has a total of four shots on goal for the game, and <laughs> they have had zero shots in the second period. Oh, does Cooper bench the entire team in the third? Well, no, Carolina's actively trying to hurt their team. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Headman had to leave for a little bit. Um, Kucherov got hit in the face with a puck. Five three final. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> So, so I had made mention on Twitter yesterday and to our group about, you know, why, why are you benching your best players? And, you know, Patrick was like, well, I understand why he's doing it. My point was, I understand why he's doing it too. And I, and, and there are cases, situations where I kind of wish NHL 
coaches would do that. The reality is it's like office politics, right? Where if your department isn't doing well and you have high performers and you take your high performers pet projects away from them, they're going to resent that. <laughs> and, and so then they're going to go to your boss's boss and complain about that. Your boss isn't being fair to you. And so it wasn't so much that I thought that they didn't deserve it. They probably did. But the fact of the matter is that that's typically not done in the NHL simply because coaches feel like they're going to get fired if they do it because the players are more important or the star players are more important than the coaches. Right. So, so that was my issue with it was, you know, if McDavid or Crosby were benched, how long would that coach have left in that, uh, with that team, whether they deserved it or not? (laughs) Well, and so you're, you're kind of making my argument for me a little bit, Cassie is, and and you said, and somewhat rightfully so, you know, Cooper doesn't worry about his job in that situation. Well, he's he's got the resume to say, I shouldn't have to worry about my job. This is my decision. Right. If you, Mike Sullivan, I think, would be another one, right? So if, if Mike Sullivan benched Crosby for the third, there'd be a lot of questions, and and um, there'd be a you know, Crosby is a is a somewhat different animal simply mm-hmm. because of how he is. Um, but I also think Crosby would be the first one to stand there in the press and say, yeah, I completely understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, McDavid, until Woodcroft proves something, sure, right? There there would be, and also because the media in, in Edmonton, you know, would just absolutely throw a hissy fit and then somebody would be forced to respond because, you know, There'd be a 5,000-word think piece, and I'm putting think in air quotes, about, you know, how stupid a coaching decision that was, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, and I responded to you, and I'll, you know, we'll, just, we'll just air our dirty laundry, <laughs> even though it wasn't dirty. Um, hey, accountability, you know. No, I know, and I, and I, I realized that, and, and that works – That works best in the AHL and below. I see. I don't think so. I I because obviously he's not getting what he wants out of his players. Game two, back to back after they'd been benched. (laughs) And that's that's fine. But I mean, this isn't the first time he's done this. It's the first time he's done it to all three. But you know, he benched Kucherov to send a message clearly uh, last year or the year before. You know, right. he, he right. had no, no problem parking yeah. him. Right. And that's one player, though. That's not an entire I, I, first I, I line. I understand that. But, you know, like I also said, you know, Gretzky tells the story that I think it was Barry Melrose was coach of the Kings and he was ripping on everyone and, and you know, didn't say anything to Gretzky. And Gretzky knew he was playing like poop. And Gretz went up to him and said, if you're going to yell at them, you got to yell at me, too. Right. I'm part of this team. If I'm playing right. bad, they need to see that I am just as much a part of this team as they are. And I think this, and, and Cassie, I'm going to say this, this was the only time he is ever going to be able to do that. You know, it's like they have the, there's the whole, you know, the coach 
through the hissy fit and had a closed door meeting and through stuff, you know, you have, that is the one time you can do that. Cause the, if you do it again, it's just performative. Right. 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 So, you know, he gambled on that sending a message and apparently it didn't work. So now he's got to start trying to figure out what else the hell to do. Cause that he can't do, he can't do that again. He can't bench any one of those three guys individually again. Because he's already done it. See, it so. comes, what it comes down to ultimately is if the players agree with the coach or not. The players are looking at the coach and saying, okay, no, you're, you're right. I don't like it. I hate this, in fact. But you're right that I'm not playing well, and maybe I do deserve it. If the players, on the other hand, are like resentful of it or feel like it's uh, not necessary, unearned, you know, they're playing fine, it's, you know, things are just not going their way kind of thing, then that could turn into a major problem. Well, we'll go back to, to Kevin Hayes, right? He got benched and, and you know, he, when he got asked about it, he was like, I honestly don't know why I was benched. So that to me is where it all fell apart. Right. Whereas these guys, I would hope that Cooper talked to them either after the game or on the plane and said, you know, hey, guys, you weren't going tonight. Here's what I think we were missing. You know, um, I was doing this also to send, you know, if he went and told them, you know, hey, as much as I was doing this because you guys weren't going, I was also doing it trying to wake everybody else up. Because we need more from these other guys right now. Right. It can't always be on you type thing, right? And it's not a card a coach can play all the time. No, like what right, Torch was doing early in the season, it was a bit too much. And notice how quickly that story went away over time. Yeah. It yeah. couldn't continue to do it. Like I said, that that is quite literally the only time he can play that card. You know, it's it's like one of those it's one of those magic to gathering cards that is so super rare that it ends up becoming banned because it's so powerful in mm-hmm. tournaments, you know, over time. That was that one card. It's the only time he's ever gonna be able to play it. Yeah. And for him to bench any of the three even individually is gonna take some time to pass between this incident and that potential happening again. So I, you know, they're in a they're in a pretty massive slide right now, but this could be one of those. It's a slow, it's a slow bottoming out, and stuff's going to happen along the way, and then they're going to sort of like, oh, okay, try and figure it out, and the next thing you know, they ramp back up. It's just that late end. I think it's this. This is that late season malaise that they kind of go through. And I say they, because specifically Tampa does kind of have a tendency the last few years to go through this. We don't care. We're in the playoffs. Right. I mean, like we were saying a couple episodes ago, this is a time of year anyway, where a lot of teams struggle. Um, Partly because they're coasting into playoffs for those that are in playoffs and they know it. Partly because of injuries, because we're at the everybody starting, everybody's at that beaten up stage, kind of, you know, sometimes out of just plain old exhaustion, um, because it's a long season, right? 
And so it's the teams that if they're still in this in the last three weeks of the season, then they're screwed in the first round. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we've seen it too many times, right? I think Carolina was a prime example of that last year. They kind of got mm-hmm. into this weird funk late in the season. They just could not figure out how to get out of it. And I, I think part and parcel is because they still don't have the muscle memory I guess of of what it feels like to get to the cup final and what it really takes to get to the cup final. As crazy as that kind of sounds, um, you know. And who's to say? You know, maybe maybe this sort of is the last hurrah for Cooper. I guess we'll see in in like a month, huh? Yeah. But you know. um, no, I, most teams at this point in the season, if they're like going through a slide, I have noticed it's because they're getting sloppy. Mm. And uh, if they just clean up what they're doing, not like, so when coaches say clean up what we're doing on the ice, they're talking about plays and they're talking about, you know, systems and things like that. When I say clean up what you're doing, I'm saying, you know, go back to basics, Clean, clean up the passing, clean up your positioning, clean up, you know, the communication aspect of it, just, just like, I've always like thought that NHL teams at least twice a year should professional teams generally should do like a back to basics day or two where they just like work on really basic like drills, like passing drills and, and, you know, positioning and things like that. So that it's as a refresher. So you don't really fall into these like traps of being sloppy. Cause it's, it's, it's part of its mental exhaustion, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so if you just go back to basics and you're like, oh, right, this is what's supposed to happen. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's right. I okay, I wasn't thinking about that, you know. And then and then typically from then on, you're pretty much okay for another two or three months. <laughs> so Todd McClellan used to, and I, I I haven't heard him say this because I haven't really watched a lot of Todd McClellan press conferences, but but. He used to say that you see some symptoms of your game getting sick, even while you're winning, and you mm-hmm. see some and you see some symptoms of your game getting better even when you're losing, and mm-hmm. it's the sniffles, you know, it's it's those five foot passes, right? It's those little mm-hmm. like you're talking about, Cassie. It's just those little itty bitty details, and he did say that. Um, you know, with his time with the Sharks, that he would sort of strip it down and, and take it back to basics. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe there are some coaches out there that do that. I I don't have a problem. I love the idea and I love the notion, right? Because that's, you know, you start getting that confidence up and start making plays that you really wouldn't normally wake. They just happen to work for you because the puck's bouncing your way and, you know, other teams are, you know, going through issues and you're just rolling them over and and then the mental, you know, you sort of are in this um, autonomous fashion going through the motion and then things just start getting a little jagged and you're it's burnout is what and it that, is. Yeah. And it's I, mental I, burnout. yeah. And sometimes, you know you're playing at such a high level and, and such a high thinking process that sometimes you do need to just strip it down to the bones and say, play stupid hockey where I don't have to think so much. Right. Right. Play peewee. 
Yeah. <laughs> Play peewee. We're, we're all you really, it doesn't matter if the goals come. You just need to make sure that you're passing to your teammates. And they're getting the passes. And yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. We were talking about a Tampa Carolina game. What's a pass? I thought everything was dump and chase. Something I that I just saw. Oh my I hate goodness Depp and, I hate Depp and Chase with such a passion. It's such a lazy thing to do. God, it just, every single time I see, I mean, once in a while, it's fine, you know, or if you're doing a line change, I get it. But like to do it on a regular basis as a strategy, it's just such a lazy thing. And it just like, oh, it makes me so angry to see a team do that on a regular basis. Just want to like start throwing things at the screen. I will only disagree with you from the aspect of if a team is playing Red Rover, Red Rover defense, sometimes, you know, they're literally sort of parked facing you at the blue line all across the blue line, you know, like yeah. four well, players yeah. across yeah. there. That to me, you know, get it behind yeah, them, go get it. Because you're. If everyone's standing you up at the blue line, then that's the only option that you have. Yeah. Until, right. until they, you know, until they start reacting to you doing that, then you can start carrying it in. But yeah, to your point, you know, doing it 100% of the time, regardless of what their defensive posture is, is just like, come on, guys, really? Yeah. It's so lazy. <laughs> So there's no yeah. passing pack? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no. Carolina is 100% a dump and chase team because they, quote unquote, lack the skill that other teams have. Hubris uh, mm-hmm. is going to come for them soon. but Not today. Oh, no, not today because it works perfectly well on an average night against an opponent where you're just trying to do the thing that works well for you. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have the McDavid speed or the passing ability of the Tampa at all cylinders, well, you know, you look for other alternatives. Live in-game update. Tampa has recorded a shot on net in the third period and only took them two and a half minutes. Mm. They, are now, they are now up to five. Five. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 Five shots on the net. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. It, it just it just brings my my black sarcastic little heart joy. <laughs> Even if it's momentary, it makes me happy. <laughs> no, no. Hey, we all take pleasure in a certain in certain teams losing. Every mm-hmm. one of us here. I will never take more pleasure in my life than watching Pittsburgh lose. I just, I just won't. That brings my Grinchian black heart of sadism. It grows three times every time they lose. Mm, that's me with Washington, actually. <laughs> I despise the Caps. I've always despised, despised the Caps. Pat, what's your team of hate? <laughs> of derision? Hmm. Or are you a kinder person than Patrick and I are? I hold different vendettas, I guess, mm. against certain teams. Uh, probably Boston. Perfectly acceptable. Um, 
Yeah. They are not as good as everyone makes them out to be. Patrice Bergeron isn't the isn't as good as he's made out to be. He's a great player, but he's you know put on a pedestal somewhat deservingly. But it's just like, what have you done for me lately? Did you really deserve the Selkie this year or that year? And it's just no, we've. It'd be like if Toronto media actually liked the team that played in that city. We see the inverse of what's happening there. It's just like, yeah, you guys are fine, but you are the Atlanta Braves of hockey. You won once, and you've been <laughs> successful, but you're not as good as you think you are. I mean, you know, that's better than the, I mean, Montreal's the New York Yankees of, of hockey, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but at least the New York Yankees, did, you know, did, were able to beat more than five other teams to win a title in the 1920s. Oh, man. It always goes back See, to I, about Bobby Orr. Boston wouldn't be so bad if they would have just acquired Philip J. Kessel. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.